Thank you so much, Siva. Um, I don't know about grades. <laughs> Uh, let me just qualify that. I, I'm no longer that nervous of getting up here. It still gives me a little bit of uh, shivers, but I've come to believe that it should or else you're not doing it right. But that being said, I was supposed to be in the Eastern Cape for three days, a total of three days, just like a week ago. I've ended up getting back last night. I left last week Friday. I've ended up getting back last night at half past 10. I was very upset at my mom for that. Uh, <laughs> so she got a piece of my mind. And then... <laughs> Um, and here's what the conversation about my sermon with Ross went like on Friday. So he said, hey, please send me your sermon. I want to read through it. At this stage, I was in the Eastern Cape. I could have made an effort to send it to him, but it was a very skeleton sermon. So I said, <laughs> oh, Ross, I'll send it to you when I get back to Durban. Um, and he was like, you're making me nervous. And I was like, Ross, when have I ever let you down? <laughs> I went there. <laughs> So hopefully I don't let him down today when he proceeded to call me a Muppet. He's like, hey, you Muppet. Uh, on that bombshell, I'm going to pray for me and us, and then we're going <laughs> to preach. Father, thank you so much uh, that I get to speak your word. Thank you so much for this Christmas series and uh, the power that it's going to bring, Jesus. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that your spirit is here and it's moving, Jesus. And thank you so much that the worship and the... And the prayer after has affirmed the things that I have to say, Jesus. And so I just pray that they land on fertile soil. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So anyways, we're in our Christmas series, The Unseen Gift. I think we're on week two. I've been away for a long time. I've lost track. I actually forgot what day it was a couple of days ago. Because I was in the bush. In the east, where I come from in the Eastern Cape is not just the Eastern Cape. It's like there's Eastern Cape and then there's like Eastern Cape inside Eastern Cape. It's like Wakanda. It's like... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's deep down. So I lost track of the days at some stage. And I got so bored, like, I hate cardio activity. Anything that's got to do with moving a lot, I hate because I'm trying to, like, pick up weights and I lose it fast. But I got so bored that I walked, like, 10 kilometers into a forest with a, just a nobkiri and a blunt axe, thinking that would be enough to protect me. And I got a really big headache at the bottom of, like, the, like a massive hill in the middle of the jungle. So I started, I sent my brother location. <laughs> I was like, bro, if, if you don't find me, I'm in the bush somewhere, come, come look for me. But I made it back home, and then I had a panada and slept. But it was boring. But anyways, let's speak about Christmas. So into this Christmas series, uh, week two, we're going to be speaking more about the unseen gift. But just to qualify it, because we're speaking about gifts, my first like, memory of Christmas uh, wasn't a gift, but I was back in the Eastern Cape, but not in the Bundus. I was in East London kind of remember just like looking out a hotel window. We went to stay at a hotel. My mom, my dad, my brother and sister. Uh, I must have been a, around four because that is when I can like last remember like things. And I just remember being out like looking out this hotel. The next day I remember swimming in a pool and being deadly terrified. I used to be so afraid of water. And my sister had to carry me or else I'd cry. My brother was the same. We actually love water now and I can't see myself living anywhere away from the ocean. Um, and then a little while later, I remember we used to go to the Eastern Cape. That was the, that was the next thing, because I've like, mixed so much cultures coming from the Eastern Cape, having lived here in KZN and mixed with different groups of people. And so the second memory that I kind of vaguely remember, well, I grew into this one, is that we'd, while everyone else was going to the coast and to the beach, we'd be going to the Bundus. And so Christmas at the Bundus, you put on your Sunday best, but this is not just your Sunday best. This comes out of that closet that 
you never, like, you never touch, you never even knew was there. Your mom pulls out the suitcase, and once a year, you get to wear these clothes. And so that was our Christmas tradition, is that you put on your, you're not going anywhere, just bear in mind. <laughs> <You're> gonna, <laughs> the furthest you're going to walk is like across the valley to your cousin's house, fetch something and come back. But you put on your Sunday clothes, and, that was, and, and that's, that's what we did for Christmas. And then a little while later, we moved here to Kezadet, and that's where former Model C schools introduced me to Santa Claus. And so I'm not that gullible. So I already, like, I picked up some cracks, because this is what happened in former Model C school. We'd all pay money to receive gifts at Christmas carols. So I was like, ah, this doesn't add up, you know? And my brother was the same, so we caught it around six, seven, eight. We already caught up. Ah, uh-huh. Sansa, no, if there's kids here, Sansa, Sansa exists, don't listen to me. <laughs> so, anyways, I was like, mm, something's fishy. But because you get so caught up in the hype when you get the toys, like I ignored it. So, you get cool gifts all the time pellet guns, sting bombs, all that kind of stuff that I remember from back in the day. It was like really awesome. Now, my brother was caught up in the culture of cool, so he. He didn't entertain the whole writing letters thing. I was the guy who wrote letters. I watched Yo! TV and stuff, and they'd like call us and write, and I'd try to call and all that stuff. And so when Sansa came around and I could write him a letter, I wrote that letter. And while my brother played to the culture of cool, all my brother got every Christmas was those clothes from the closet. (laughs) (laughs) The first time I ever wrote a letter, I asked my mom to help me write, write my wish list. And lo and behold, but way before Christmas, this is the straw that broke the camel's back, me knowing that there's no sensor. Because I saw my dad pull it out the back of the bucky. They, <laughs> they bought me a bicycle, and there's no way to hide it, because, like, I can see my dad, like, we can almost smell him when we're kids. As soon as his car comes around the corner, we run to the car, and there's no, like, getting us away from it until we've helped him unpack and we've walked him into the house. And so I saw them pull this bike out of the back, and I knew I'd wish for a bike. <laughs> And so when they told me this is my bike, I was like, yeah! My brother was jealous, so they told me to share. But I was like, that's what you get. So every year, I wrote my list for at least until I was 10. I wrote my list and got a specific gift. Well, my brother just got like, oh, cool vest, cool pants, cool shoes. I was like, yeah, keep your culture of cool. I'll keep my Santa Claus. <laughs> and so yeah, I've had some cool gifts over the years, but then I got a little bit older and... Then we stopped like getting gifts. The last gift I remember, please don't laugh at me. I think this is cool. The younger people will understand. The last gift I got was a High School Musical 2 DVD set. <laughs> I didn't tell Nate. <laughs> I didn't tell any of my friends I wish for that because the, the boys would have laughed at me. But geez Louise that I love High School Musical 2. And so I got this DVD set, it had like back-to-back CDs, you could sing along, get lyrics and all the rest of that stuff. Every day after school, after I'd done all the butch sports and all the rest of that stuff, I'd come back to the house, put it on that desk and just... I just get stuck into it. <clears throat> and so that's the last kind of gift I remember of that era. And then we came to like the Turkey era where my mom um, still tried to make Christmas special, but like things got a little bit difficult and so she'd buy turkey and we'd just sit there, my brother and I and just watch this thing cook, and just know that there's only four of us in the family. <laughs> this turkey is massive, like it's like, we can already punish chicken, but turkey is huge. <laughs> and so we'd know for the next two days, me and my brother are staying at home, we're working on this turkey. And so that was always special, and then I grew up, and then 
I became a little bit of a gypsy, and so Christmas sort of lost, lost the gift element of it. At, like, I'd just go to whatever friend's house was having some Christmas thing and all the rest. And now I've come full circle again because I've been on staff here, and so they started the Secret Santa stuff. And uh, as you will know, I got a girlfriend, and so we wrote each other lists now, and so hopefully I'm getting something cool this, <laughs> this Christmas. I'm still looking for a gift, just by the way. Uh, <laughs> three more days, four. But anyways, yeah. So enough about that. But we're speaking about gifts, and so, like, I know I've got all these fond memories of, 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 of Christmas. But as Justin said, not everyone has got fond memories of Christmas. Not everyone, everyone's this time of the year is that like fantastic. If you've got kids, it's just the beginning. Like, Christmas sucks for you. You just gotta run around and look after other people and prepare stuff, and your family comes over, and it's just chaos. But it gets worse than that. I, I've worked at the beach, and like this holiday season can be an incredibly tough season for some people. Um, just speaking about working on the beach, I remember like I must have been 17, and I just I saw like this guy had washed up on the rocks and been there for like hours, and so we like a group of us fetched him and they brought him onto the beach and they started CPR. And his family who'd come to the beach to look for him because he'd gone fishing in the morning who'd come on holiday to have that holiday, were all just in angst, just hoping like this guy would like, come alive, but he was so far gone, and that was so sad, and people are experiencing that everywhere. I just, we just did the drive from the Eastern Cape and back, and people, like there's accidents, there's people who don't make it to where they're going. Like there's real loss in the season, and so Christmas is not so festive and merry for, for everyone, and I know that two years later, like a little boy again goes into the lagoon and he drowns, and I watched the mom just cry her eyes out, and she came back there like day after the day, just like weeping for her son that she'd lost in the river, and then I had to experience it firsthand once I ran onto the beach, and we'd pulled this guy out and put him on, and he was still breathing, and it was like, but his family was right behind me, and they were all praying, and I was praying while I was like doing CPR, but that guy died as well, and I've just come to know that Christmas is not so festive for everyone. In fact, life itself is not so festive all the time, and so we that's why we have to speak about this unseen gift, which I so truly believe in. Life isn't easy. Life, in fact, life can suck like incredibly hard. And so uh, philosophers describe it like this. They describe life as suffering tainted with malevolence, which means that life sucks. And then just underneath that surface, there's terrible people doing terrible things, or there's an element of evil that makes things worse. And so we need some, we need some kind of hope. We need something to keep us going. And I'm glad that the Bible makes no secret of that Life is suffering, and so it says this in John 16, John 16, 33, very bluntly, and I've just picked out that passage, it says, in this life, you will have many troubles. And I'm not trying to be, like, underplay it or be condescending, but life can get very difficult. Life can be very hard, and so here lies the secret of the unseen gift or the, or the gift or the promises of that unseen gift. That's where this unseen gift becomes so important, because then... In John 16, verse 7, it says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. There it is. There's an importance of the advocate. The advocate is also called the comforter. And that's what the label I want us to stick with today. And John 14, verse 25 says this, These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said unto you. 
making the unseen gift possibly the most important gift we could possibly desire over any period of life, especially this period, if it hasn't been so fun or so comfortable for us. So why is the comfort a gift? Let me just go start by saying that, that in that slot where we call him the comforter, those synonyms of the word is counselor, helper, intercessor, and advocate, strengthener. And so we're going to just unpack that a little bit. There's a, uh, I guess I'd call him an author and a, a preacher from way back in the, in the 1800s. And his name is George, George Everett. And he wrote this insert that I couldn't have said any better myself. And so I'm going to read it out. But it says, the abiding presence of the Father and the Son, the, manifest, the manifestation of Christ, the peace which the world gives not. All these can only be enjoyed as the Spirit dwells within the heart, without His special help, without the counselor. Not one throb of spiritual life, not one holy desire, not one joyful hope, not one drawing of love can exist within the soul. Without the counselor dwelling in our hearts, we cannot have any of the spiritual gifts that come with it. We cannot have any hope in short. He goes on to say, the consolation of the spirits depends much upon the fact that he is a living personal friend and a helper of Christ's flock. He was, the, he was to take Christ's place, to be the substitute on earth because Christ had gone away. He would come to abide with those who would otherwise have been left comfortless. Far greater is the benefit we thus derive from him as our almighty personal comforter and helper then it would be possible to obtain from any mere gift, however precious that gift might be. He goes on to say, imagine a person living in solitude somewhere far away, so where I come from in Wakanda, but like on a hill by himself, like where you can't even shout across the valley to any company. Imagine a person in absolute solitude. He would appreciate a gift of money. He would appreciate being given stuff, but the thing he would appreciate the most is someone to be there with him someone to counsel him, someone to help him when he struggles, someone to give him good advice, a friend. That, that's a gift that no gift could possibly compare to. And so in the same way, us and our lack in, in, all the, in, in the isolation, because he says that our hearts belong in heaven, our souls are connected with heaven, and so when we're here, we're kind of lost wanderers, and there's something missing there. And the only thing that could possibly fill the void or fill it better than any other thing can is the Holy Spirit. The comforter. And so he goes on to say that it would be very important. Or he would advise that we prepare a place for the comforter. He makes an example of the the Shunammites. I think I'm saying that right. Woman who encounters Elisha. Sees him passing by every day. I'm going to tell the story very briefly. Sees him passing by every day. Eventually says, I've seen that this man is a holy man. And I'm going to prepare a place for him upstairs. Because she made him food every time he came past. And Elisha was indeed a holy man. It's a little foreshadowing of what the Holy Spirit kind of was. Or a person living under the Holy Spirit. And so she prepares a place for him upstairs. And then he comes into this house and he lives there. Or every time he passes by, he stays there and he sleeps there. But while he's there, he blesses the house. He brings life into the house. She comes there and he says, because you've treated me so kindly, because you've hosted me so well, I want to fulfill something for you. What do you not have? And she said, I'm very old and I'm barren. I, do not, I cannot conceive a child. And he says, this time next year. And she says, don't lie to me. He says, this time next year. And she has indeed a child, but then the next year the child gets ill in the, in the yard 
comes back to the house and dies in his father's lap. This woman gets on a donkey, like smacks it so it sprints, and goes and finds Elisha where I was, I think, in Mount, Mount Carmel. <laughs> Mind my slang. But anyways, just, just to emphasize that she, wasn't, she didn't delay. She went after, after the holy man, and she says, you promised me, and now you've taken my joy away from me. Come back. And he goes back with her, and the, baby, the child is raised from the dead. The joy is the joy of her life is restored to her. And in the same way, in our lives, we prepare a place for the comforter. We prepare a place for the Holy Spirit. And he brings life into that place and life in abundance. And every time it threatens to be taken away, we cry out and he brings it back. And then the comforter also includes strength and help. He brings strength and he brings help. Um, I've had the only cool thing about being in the Eastern Cape, well, two cool things, is that it's very beautiful. So that's the reason I even decided to walk that other day. It's very incredibly beautiful. And then the second is that my nephew was there the whole time. And like, I absolutely love my nephews, a year and a half. So it's just like, it's like I live vicariously through him and his adventurous mind. And so... I just watch him do stuff. And so he loves opening, like, doors. He loves opening, but he can't always do it. And so he'll, like, adventure through, like, the grasses this long because no one lives there anymore. And he'll mission through this grass, cross, climb through the fence, and go to the car because the car is parked outside the gate. And just try to open the door. And he gets so, like, so anxious when the door won't open. And, like, just as he's about to cry, ah! someone's always there to just nudge it open, and then joy returns to his face. Everything's good in the world. And it's the same for any joy encounters or any challenge he encounters. He gets in and just as he's at the end of himself, he's about to break into tears. Someone helps him out with him. Someone picks him up and put him, puts him on the step. And that's the same with the Holy Spirit, is that he provides strength. He gives us help. The, the writer I referenced mentioned someone who, 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 who'd been badly injured and someone else comes to pick them up. And I remember the old days when we were, when we were boots playing rugby and there'd be a struggler in the team. What the team did is you didn't finish by yourself because rugby was a team sport. We all came back and we picked up the guy who was coming last. And that's the role of the spirit. He comes back and he picks you up and you run the race with him. But I want to sit on comfort. I want to lean really hard on the first bit. And this, I've learned this from being here at Olive Tree mostly because you, like, I've watched all the premarital material, made me laugh, and I've also just encountered it in this, <laughs> in this, little, <laughs> in this little time like, with, with my lady. And guys learn this mostly when they get into relationships from, from ladies because sometimes you, you want to just address it. Like, like my girl brings me a problem, and I'm just like, the solution is so obvious. Why wouldn't she just do this? But that's not what she wants. And, and, and sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'll help you. But that's not what she wants. Sometimes she just wants to cry, and sometimes all she needs is to be held. She doesn't need to be judged. She doesn't need to be given advice straight away. She doesn't need any of that other stuff. <laughs> that wasn't intended as a joke. I mean it. It just wouldn't fit in the Holy Spirit thing if I didn't say it straight away because you do need help and advice. But sometimes all you need 
is to be held. It's the same with my nephew. When he hurts himself, he comes to me or he comes to my sister, he goes to my mom. As soon as he gets into your embrace, he stops crying. I can bet you holding him does nothing to the pain. But it's just being in someone's arms and someone holding you and telling you that it's going to be okay. And so if we take one thing, this is the one takeaway from this whole message. I want you guys to walk away with the phrase, hold me. Hold me. And so that's what we're going to go after today. And what happens when the Holy Spirit holds you? What changes? First thing is that you have peace in suffering. Though life is suffering tainted with malevolence, I really want to say that word, English. (laughs) You have peace. You are easy when things aren't easy. Because what peace does is that it calms you down doesn't stop the things around you from happening the way they're happening, but it calms you down. And then the second thing you get because you have peace in your suffering is perspective. So peace paves the way for your perspective because you need to be calm to see the right way. And so what peace has always constantly done for me is that in the midst of my troubles, it's brought me back to here. It's brought me from high to zero so that I can see straight, I can think clearly. And so that's the mark of a person walking with the Spirit. That's the mark of someone who Jesus is working in. You grow in your peace when you grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so the things that should scare you, the things that should make you nervous, the things that should make you go into a fit or lose, lose your compass, you have peace in those moments. That's the defining character, characteristic of a Christian. Is a person marked by peace because you carry the Prince of Peace inside you. And so the second thing, as I said, is your attitudes towards suffering, your attitude towards pain. Because believe it or not, you have a choice in the attitude. And again, I don't mean to be condescending because life is so incredibly difficult. Just yesterday, I was very mad at my mom yesterday. Um, mostly because of the sermon thing and I knew I had to prep. And then like, she changed her mind about something and it just made me annoyed. And so they dropped me off in Tata to take a bus back. And then... Our last words weren't very friendly because she was trying to apologize or trying to make me understand and I was like, I was being annoyed. And so I wasn't very nice back to her. <laughs> but the whole time, the, like, the, the spirits and my conviction inside me was telling me that that's not okay. That's not the words you want to like, leave each other with. That's not how you want to leave. And so she still said, anyways, travel safe. And... I couldn't talk, I was just, I was livid. I was like, just looked the other way and ate the food she bought me. And <laughs> so, yeah, I was just, like, I was mad. But what happens later, just a little lesson I've learned. Because <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night, they dropped me off at like 12 during the day. I had to wait two hours for the bus. Made me even more mad. And so, but like, at 10 o'clock at night, my cousin phones from back home and says, where's your mom? Oh, boy. I was, in that moment, I was like, did I really want my last words to, be my, like, to my mom to be, I'm not a child? <laughs> Is that, because I thought she was gone, and I phoned everyone, I phoned the police, I phoned the, and as soon as I'd done all of that stuff and learned my lesson, and then she phones, and she's like, no, we just got home, it's been a long day. Then I went back to being angry. <laughs> 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 but... 
But yeah, so, so you have, I, I was challenged with this decision to stop, like, to stop being childish because there's a spirit and there's a conviction working inside of me telling me, choose the right thing. And, and it happened to Cain. We learn it in Cain's story. It says, God warns Cain and says, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door and it's waiting to master you. And so if your perspective is not right, sin crouches at your door and it waits to master you. You've got a choice to let it master you or you've got another decision to choose a better perspective. But if you let it master you, what happens is that Cain kills Abel. When you let sin master you, it leads to death, death of something. And so the decisions you make when you, when, when, when from the simple things, or they're not really simple, but like the common things, like when your parents get divorced, when you go through heartbreak, when you feel rejection, when you lose a job, all the kind of common stuff that happens all the time, the suffering that, that's inevitable in some sense, when you experience death, you can use that as an excuse for sin to master you. And you can follow that because it's going, you're going to have an excuse. Like you can excuse off all kinds of wild behavior because of the things that you've experienced. That's allowing sin to master you. It's not easy. As we've experienced, just from yesterday, I was, when my mom called me this morning, I was ready to be bitter all over again. And it's such a small thing. But you have to choose to not let sin master you. The opposite of that, because you've got two decisions in this. The opposite of having a bad attitude towards pain that allows you or enables you to, or justifies you doing evil stuff or bad stuff is, is, to, is to, to fix your perspective. Is to have the perspective that it may look like I'm surrounded, it may look like I'm suffering, but I choose to believe that I'm surrounded by God. It's choosing to see a good way out of the situation despite how bad it might be because sometimes you don't see a way out. You acknowledge the pain. You don't, you don't deny it. It's to acknowledge the pain but to change the perspective on it. That's what you're trying to do. And so again, Elisha, incredible guy. I love him so much. And I've referenced this before, but Elisha, um, he, he's so full of God and so full of the Holy Spirit that he's, he wakes up one morning and his servant who doesn't know better comes to him going, hey, the, the army is upon us. I don't know what army wanted to, to, to catch them, but they were sent by a king to kill them. And he said, the army is here. Dear Lord, there's so many of them and they've trapped us right in the city where we're sleeping. Someone led them right to where we are. And the first thing that Elisha prays that God does is not to change the circumstances, it's to change the perspective. He prays, he says, God open his eyes that he may see. And so in every situation, we ought to pray to that comforter, Holy Spirit, hold me. Give me the perspective to see the way you see this thing. And what he sees is that he looks behind him and there's a massive army and chariots of fire. And that's the reality is that God was on their side. And if you've got God on your side, then who can be against you? You'd think that the chariots of fire were going to come and attack and kill everyone. And that's, but that's not how, because God makes mockery of people's plans to harm you when you trust in him. Instead, he just blinds them and Elijah leads them out to somewhere, or Elisha leads them out to somewhere else. And I think he even eats with them. Absolute mockery. But it's from changing the perspective before changing the circumstance. And, and this, is, this is just a few verses I wrote down that sort of just paint to me what it looks like to have a changed perspective. And I want to be like this. And so uh, I can't quite recall who wrote it in, in Philippians 1 verse 20, 21. 
But he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if I live, I live for Christ. And if I die, I gain even more. That's at the facing death, the apostles experience or faced uh, persecution and death at every step. But they were so full of the spirit that this is what they believed. This is what they professed. This was their perspective. Like, if I live, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm not going to chicken out. And if I die, well, I gain the kingdom of heaven. And then this, this last one, which we reference a lot, but it says, that, and not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That's Romans 5, verse 3 to 4. And so that's the perspective of a person with the Spirit in them is that this thing's not going to kill me, but it's going to teach me something I need to learn. It's going to grow me so that I can stand tougher challenges in the future. It's only going to build me to be a better person. And again, if it kills me, I gain the kingdom of heaven. And so it's so important that we change our whole perspective on suffering. And that happens when we make room for the Holy Spirit, when we allow the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to just hold us. And the last thing he needs to do is that in character, hope. And hope is, I believe, eternal. It's one of the three that says, now these three remain, hope, faith, and love. It's the three things that are the embodiment of God in some sense. They're the things that make God who he is. And so Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption, I don't know how I remember this, but he says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Take that thought further. I believe that without hope, we cease to exist. Straight away, without hope, you cease to exist. That's the, in, 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 in general terms, that's the thing about depression and anxieties, that once it takes away your hope, the only way out the people seem to see is death. They go, I cannot imagine a way forward. I cannot imagine a future. I cannot imagine the next day. And then you opt out. And when I see people break like that, when I see people struggle and suffer, my heart just breaks for them and goes, I wish you would take a chance on Jesus. And I don't mean that lightly. I really wish you would take a chance on Jesus. I wish that you would prepare a space for him because he will bring that new life into you and he will give you a future and a hope. That's what all this is for, is for a future and a hope that every day we will wake up despite the hardness of life, despite its difficulty, and we will keep pushing forward. We will keep going on with our mission. We will keep fighting for life. There's a phrase I learned from someone else that says, to, while I live, I hope. And I only like appreciate it now, but while I live, I hope, because if I lose my hope, I lose my life. And so, just from experiencing all of this, I've, I've come to, to, to have peace, to have a reasonable perspective, not all the time as we've learned from my yesterday's story. And, and to grow in my hope that now when I encounter difficult situations, God is in me, reminding me, which is what the comfort does, reminding me, it's going to be okay. You've been through things like this before. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you. And that's all I need to know. And my, I go straight into easy. And now my mindset goes to, God, I know that you're here. God, I know that you see this. God, I know that you know. And more than anything, God, I know that you care about me. And that's my perspective now as I walk through life and I try to just foster that with everything I go, with everything I go through. 
that God, I know you see me. God, I know you care about me. God, I know you love me. God, I know you're here with me. The situation doesn't have to change, but knowing that God is there, allowing God to hold me, allows me to experience suffering way differently. And so as we go into this Christmas period, wherever you may be, you might be having a season of like absolute bliss, which is kind of like how my year has been. It's been so incredible. It's been such a blessing. But that, you can get lost in that. I just want to remind you to constantly pray for the best gift you could ever receive is the Holy Spirit to constantly be with you so that in your joy, you bring joy to others. So that in being comforted, you comfort others. And if you're on the, <clears throat> excuse me, and if you're on the other end of that scale as well, I just, I want to encourage you. Pray for God to hold you. Prepare room for God to come into your life and work and just, just ask him to hold you. The scripture says this in Luke, in Luke 11 verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so if there's a prayer and a petition that you, you should hunger after, it's a prayer and a petition for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to hold you all the days of your life. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you so much that it's alive and real, Jesus, and thank you that it's through you dying on a cross and ascending to be with God that you allowed us to have access to the Holy Spirit like it was in the beginning. Now, Jesus, I just pray for an outpouring of, to everyone seated here, Jesus. May we just re- receive and experience an abundance of your spirit, Jesus. May you just work in us the desire to prepare room for your spirit to bring joy into our lives despite the suffering that life may bring. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see like you, Jesus. Where there's, where there's hopelessness, Jesus, you would turn that to hope. You'd turn that to hope and the future. I just pray that you'd birth life in the hearts of everybody seated here, Jesus, despite what we might have gone through, Jesus. And in the people in the midst of that suffering, Jesus, I just pray that you would be there. Be with them, Jesus. Be the best gift any person could possibly receive this Christmas. And as people put faith in you, Jesus, I just pray that they'd experience more and more and more of your love and it would continue to change their lives. We lift up your name. We praise you. We love you so much. Amen.